0: I believe that, don't you? That He's holy. So he was singing that song. I was th- th- there was just a presence I felt in the auditorium. And it, th- today I'm speaking about learning to walk, and I it just captured me for a moment. And I was thinking about, you know, we have to learn how to walk in His holiness. For so many years, that was ascribed to what you wear or, you know, how long your hair was. And it was, it was so mistreated. Holiness. It's the attribute of God. It's the character of God. It's who he is. I don't know if you've ever walked into some place that just took your breath away. But that's kind of like what his holiness is first time. I'd never been, you know, I'd, we'd traveled around uh, the world doing mission work, and I'd, I'd seen a lot of beautiful sights I'd, in Russia, the summer palace, the winter palace, the things that were made, doors that were probably 12, 15 feet tall, overlaid with gold. And, you know, it just take your breath away. But several years, I'd been traveling for several years before I ever made a trip to Colorado. And when I got into those mountains, I thought, there just weren't words. I mean, Debbie, and you could hear us, we were filming it, and you could hear everybody in the vehicle going, wow, wow, and standing at the foot of those mountains and looking up, it, it made me feel so close to God because it was—it felt like I was standing in the presence of someone that was truly majestic. And there are no words for him, and to think that he would love me. Doesn't that make you feel special? He. He loves you that way. And so, sometimes learning to walk can be a challenge. Uh, You remember when you were a toddler learning to walk? If you do, you've got a better memory than I do. But, you know, just those first steps trying to get your balance and go forward, and you have somebody going,
1: that's it, that's it,
0: that's it. We let them fall flat on their face. That's it, that's it. And we run and pick them up. Oh, come on, come on, you can do it, you can do it. Well, the closest I could get like that and, and something I could remember was when I attempted an ice skating. I wanted to try out for Disney. <laughs> and it became very dismal. <laughs> no, it wasn't, it wasn't. We, you know, I, I, had, I knew what it was to go out in the backyard and strap some ice skates on, you know, and... None of that ice is really level back there, and you're, you know, running, you know, take a few steps and then slide. And, and uh, then I, I, you know, years later, I wound up in Wisconsin preaching a revival, and they took me to where they practice for the Olympics. And, buddy, I thought I had arrived. <laughs> Slick ice. Looks a lot easier than it is, strapped those skates on and I was trying to, you know, get in. I got it. I got, I got to where I could. (laughs) Problem was I didn't know how to stop. God is my witness. I'm going around. I got to going, I'm going around and there's a, there's like a family in front of me and I'm moving faster than they are. I don't know how to slow down. And I finally hollered, man, get out of my way. I don't know how to stop. And they're looking behind, you know, and they start moving around and I, I, you know, just trying to learn that, you know, when you're not, it's something you're not used to, you're not accustomed to. I, you know, and, and, and you think it, they make it look so easy on television and you think, man, I want to spin like that. <laughs> not so much. They. they You know, have you ever, have you ever seen in like a movie where someone, you know, they, they, you know, go off their feet and they go like 30 feet in the air? Maybe not quite that high, but you know, it's like they do it in slow motion and you see all this going and man, I had that move down pat. (laughs) I, I was going across there and I don't know what I did. Man, the next thing I knew, I was in the air doing this and came down and wham, and ice does not give. And I, I just thought, you know, I don't think I'm cracked up to do this. Well, I might have been cracked up, but not, not to do that. And so, I'm, you know, and then finally, you know, the end of the night and I'm bruised and battered, you know, and I'm thinking, man, this was a bad idea. And so then Debbie, you know, they want to get a picture of my wife and I. And so they take, you know, they, we, we lean up against, we start to lean up against this wall and Debbie's going to do a Dorothy Hamill, you know, and so she, she puts her arm around me. And I'm thinking, what are you doing, man? I can barely stand up. And she puts her arm around me. She throws her leg up, you know, for, for me to hold her leg. I go, Debbie, man, don't touch me. Don't touch And when she threw that leg up, I fell back. There was a padded wall that went down like dominoes around that. Our kids just dropped their head, walked away. We don't know who they are. We've never seen them before in our lives. Learning to walk can be a struggle if you haven't mastered the technique. Everybody say the technique. And the other thing you have to know is this, is you never learn how to walk if you keep sitting on your seat. You have to get up and walk. How many of you have ever had knee surgery? Wave your hand if you've ever had knee surgery. What's the first thing they do to you? They make you get up and start walking, right? And it's like the most enjoyable experience of your life. You know, I, I, I've never had it, but man, I've, I know people that my, my brother's knees were so shot. The surgeon he went to had been doing those surgeries for 17 years. And he told my brother, he said, I've never seen knees in this bad in all my career. They did both his knees at the same time because his knees were so bad. As soon as they got done with his knees, you know, the surgery, they came to get him up. And Daryl got up and he started walking across there. And they're looking at him and he said, oh, yeah, this feels great. It's a true story. His knees were so messed up that immediately after surgery was over, the first time they got him up to walk, he felt He said, man, he said, I'm telling you, he said, I heard, he said, but it felt a lot better than it did before they first took me under. And so sometimes our walk is destroying us and killing us and racking us with pain. And we don't even realize it because we've done it so long. It's all we've ever known. You know, nobody really has to learn how to walk defeated. We've had good practice in society of being victims and not victors. We, as a nation, have almost perpetrated that upon each other. You can't succeed because of this or you can't succeed because of that. And that stuff gets in your head. You remember me telling the story about the young man that couldn't get the job because all of his life, his father had told him that he was so stupid, he'd never amount to anything. And he carried that with him to adulthood and was living that out and walking that out until somebody finally took him and set him down and said, you are not who your earthly father said you are. You are who your heavenly father said you are. And so everybody say, it's got to be a mind change you ever have your equilibrium messed with? It's, it, it gets up here. Everybody say, the problem's right here. Point to your head, Leonard. That's where the problem's at, right here. And we, we, love, we love pointing that out, don't we? I mean, I'm, I'm real quick to say the problem's right here. That's not where my problem's at. It's not in his head. It's in my head. <laughs> But sometimes we're, we're quick to point to somebody else and said, well, man, if I had a head like yours, I'd have a problem too. <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? It's that we, we become so accustomed to seeing what's wrong in others that we're not recognizing what we're dealing with ourselves. Everybody say, I got stuff I got to deal with. Equilibrium. Have you ever been on one of those, what do they call them, assimilator? You know what I mean? My daughter, okay, so like you go, some of you are looking at me like you don't understand. So in a mall, we go into a mall, and there's this big machine in the mall. And it raises up, and you get in, and you sit in it. Now, I watched it from the outside, and then it's got hydraulics on it. So it goes like this. And it just moves. It's not not going anywhere. It's just hydraulics lifting and doing all that. But once you get in, what happens is you see a screen. Now, you know in your mind that it is not moving from that place. But you see this screen of a roller coaster. And then all of a sudden, you start feeling those hydraulics moving. And it has done messed you up. And you're in there. You're in there. And, man, you're starting, oh, oh. And you know you're you're sitting still in the middle of a mall. But not in your head, you're not. You're, oh, my daughter, we went into one of these, what what are those things called, IMAX. Any of you ever been to an IMAX before? We went into an IMAX. If you ever know of an IMAX that is playing the one on speed, please let me know. I've been dying to see that, and I have never been able to see it. But anyway, they, they did a preview of it. So you're sitting still, just like you are right now. You're sitting in a theater. Huge screen. Then all of a sudden, they start this screen, and it's got surround sound. You're not moving, but your head is. And all of a sudden, man, we're going down there. I'm in a race car. Man, I'm going around these tracks, and the race car breaks through the rail, and now I have crashed over a cliff, and now I'm in a hot air balloon. It just transitioned that quick. And, and my daughter was having a fit. She gets motion sickness. She's going, oh, dad, dad. I said, look at your feet. She said, what? I said, look at your feet. Do you know when, when I go on a roller coaster in an amusement park, I don't have that sensation? I get the beating, but not the sensation Well, how do you not have it? Because I look at my feet. You see, I've got my eyes on something that are not moving. And when you get your eyes on something that are not moving, you quit moving. Oh, you didn't hear what I just said. See, we need to learn how to get our eyes on God that is a solid rock. He's steadfast, unmovable. And when our eyes are focused on him, we will not be moved. Today, I want to preach to you about learning to walk like a conqueror. Everybody say that with me, learning to walk like a conqueror. Let me read a passage of scripture for you. Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 to 12. This is in the message. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw them, Egyptians coming at them. They were totally afraid. They cried out in terror to God. They told Moses, Weren't the cemeteries large enough in Egypt so that you had to take us out here in the wilderness to die? What have you done to us taking us out of Egypt? Back in Egypt, didn't we tell you this would happen? Didn't we tell you leave us alone here in Egypt? We're better off as slaves in Egypt than as corpses in the wilderness. Wow. It's amazing, isn't it? How that in our head, we're willing to accept slavery rather than freedom. That they, there is something inside of every man's heart that desires to be free. Everybody say free. free. Do you want, well, why, why is that? Because that's how you were created. You were created. Look, let me just say this. You know, we talk about that. that look, the fact that, do you understand that slavery Was not reserved to this nation, but slavery happened worldwide. And it happened to all types of peoples. What broke that? is because every one of us were created in the image of God and the Bible said whom the son has set free is free indeed. You know the truth and the truth will make you free. Do you know that's why tyrants in every nation, the first thing they attack to try and put you in slavery is the Bible. They try and pull it from you because they understand that as long as we've got the word of God then we are free. Now hear me, slavery even existed in scripture. Well, somebody said God was for it. I beg your pardon. God was never for it. God was dealing with the culture and God addressed it. He said, you desire to be free. You you have that inside of you. But we walk around in slavery and don't even realize it. What are you talking about? In our minds, we become trapped by our own thinking. Well, I can never do that. I'll never be able to achieve that. I'll never be able to go there. I can't, I can't get this right. I'm, I'm such a mess up. I'm so, do you understand that you've got to get the Egyptians out of your head? Amen. You've got to get the Egyptians out of your dreams. Because it's never what God intended. I want you to think about what happened. When they went into Egypt, they did not go in as slaves. They went in with favor. Joseph was sold into captivity, but Joseph saw God promote him, and he became the second most powerful man in Egypt, next to Pharaoh. So what do they do? They they become afraid of the Israelites. Do you understand how afraid the devil is of you? No, you're not, you, you're not picking up on that. You're not getting. The devil is scared to death that you're going to figure out who you really are and you're going to stand up and start declaring who you are. And in that moment, it's going to transform everything, it changes everything. Any of you ever read the book Head Wilson? I'm going to have myself a talk with my high school teacher. That was required reading for me. It was a story about two boys that were switched at birth. One was born into slavery. The other one was born into a rich home, but they switched them at birth. And so the one that had been born into slavery grew up walking as a victorious person. And the one that had been born victorious ended up walking as one that had been in slavery. And then later on in life, they find out. And they have to switch back. You realize how hard it is to switch something when it's been in your head for all those years? That's where Israel was. Israel ended up in captivity. Egypt trapped them. Somebody say, we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. But we sure act like it sometimes, don't we? (laughs) I mean, think about it. Egypt, when Israel's prospering, they're rich, they have gold. And then what Egypt does is Egypt begins to work a monetary system that breaks them. If you've ever traveled to another country, you understand that you have to change your money into the country's money where you're going. As a matter of fact, when I was traveling to Russia, it was against the law to use, a, to use U.S. dollars to buy things. But I did it all the time. Why? Because that's what everybody wanted. Because their money was growing worthless. When I first went to Russia, you could get 46 rubles, which was their dollar, 46 Russian dollars for one American dollar. The next time I went back, I could get 700 Russian dollars for one American dollar. Then I got 1300 Russian dollars for one American dollar. Then it went to twenty-three hundred, and it got up to thirty-two hundred. Do you understand? I had a what? I, I took three thousand U.S. dollars with me to purchase Bibles to pass out in the public school there. I had a wad of cash that had choke a cow. It all looked like Monopoly money to me, but it was, you know, it was it, it had gotten that bad, and then the system crashed. That's what they did to Israel. Egypt began to tell Israel, you, we don't accept gold. You have to trade your gold for Egyptian scarabs, which were w- wooden relics that were like in the shape of a beetle. And so you have to go and exchange your gold for scarabs. So they went and they changed their gold for scarabs. And this kept going on until finally they had exchanged all their gold for scarabs. And then the Egyptians said, we don't accept scarabs anymore. You got to have gold. They had bankrupt them. They became slaves. Their whole life had been filled that way. And so, it got into their head. How many of you have ever gotten a song in your head? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Live with that the rest of the day. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? It gets in there, and then it's like, oh, get this out of my head. I can't. Don't do that to me. Get that out of my head. Debbie will let it be at the house. and I said, you remember that song? She said, don't sing it. I'll be thinking about it all day long. Right. Don't, don't, But it gets in there, and now the problem is, how do I get it out of there? And so God understood. Do you realize that God could have gotten the Israelites out of Egypt in a day? But he doesn't do it because he knows that there's more to deal with here than just setting their bodies free. He's got to set their mind free. He's got to set their thinking free. How many of you have ever been trapped by the way you think? Oh, come on. Somebody talk to me today. You remember what it was like? Look, man, I didn't know God. I'd never been in church. My thinking was messed up. And it took a while for me to get it worked out. Everybody say. I gotta get the right thinking. And so what happened is God begins to show himself powerful, and what he's trying to do is get into the Israelites' head that their God is more powerful than Egypt. And he begins to demonstrate that and show that because if you if you give a ten year old, well I mean we're in Southern Illinois. If you give a five-year-old a shotgun, they may not know how to use it. Ten-year-old probably does. (laughs) But a five-year-old isn't going to know how to use. You can't just hand him this and say, here, Merry Christmas. Here's your birthday present. No, you have to teach them how to operate in what they've been given, how to be able to handle it. It's the same way with our way of thinking. God couldn't just set them free. He needed them to learn how to operate in a new way of thinking because they did not know how to walk as a conqueror. They had always walked defeated. They had never walked as a victor. They had walked as a victim. And God is saying, you have to understand, if you're my child and you are, you are not a victim. You are a victor. You are created in my image, made in my likeness, and I've got a plan and a purpose for your life, and I refuse to allow you to stay captive. And so he begins to work on them, and he does it with the strongest nation on the face of the earth at the time. He begins to squeeze Egypt in his hand. The plagues hit. I thought, man, how can I describe this so people would be able to get a hold of it? Water to blood, frogs in their beds, flies in their eyes, lice in their hair. (laughs) All you got to do is say that, man, and folks will start. Locust, hail, diseased beast, boils, darkness, death of the firstborn. And I thought, man, if there was a way that, because they saw this stuff. And I thought, how, if if there was a way that I could try and relate to the congregation, what that was like for them to see that, to experience it. And so I went on YouTube. It's amazing what you can find on YouTube. Watch this. having experienced that and seeing it with your own eyes. What was so powerful about all this is the Israelites saw it, but they didn't experience it. God separated. He caused the land of Goshen to be in light while the land of Egypt stayed in darkness. The firstborn son of the Israelites were protected because of the blood. Can I tell you that hasn't changed in all these years? That were still protected because of the blood. They watched God take the most powerful nation on the face of the earth and bring it to their knees with one purpose to set his children free do you understand that you are not alone today? That you are not by yourself? That there's a God that sees everything that you're going through and he has not turned a deaf ear or a blind eye to your situation but he stands in the gap to make up the hedge for us and he declares that he will bring us out. That he will make a way. But we've got to get that out of our head. We've got when we come out, sometimes we come out and we still got that in our mind. The Egyptians are still in our dreams. We haven't learned how to walk like a conqueror. When it finally happens and they leave Egypt, they cross the Red Sea or they cross the Jordan, they cross the wilderness and they find themselves at the sea in front of them and a bloodthirsty army behind them, and their response is instead of raising their hands to heaven and saying, God, we've seen you do it once, now do it again, they looked at Moses and they began to cry out in fear. And say, didn't we tell you while we were still in Egypt to leave us alone? Let us stay in the situation we're in. Quit trying to set us free. Leave me in the mess I'm in. I'd rather die a slave, or I'd rather live as a slave than die a corpse in the wilderness. You need to understand something about God. He loves you just the way He finds you but he refuses to leave you that way. He's going to take you up and carry you out. He is not going to leave you in the mess you were in when he came into your life. My friend, he is going to rescue you if he has to crush the mightiest nation on the face of the earth to do it. He will not allow you to die hopeless and helpless. And so... God, this, this, is, this is unique to me. The people are crying out to Moses, and Moses is crying out to God, and watch the answer that they get. The Lord speaks to Moses, and Moses spoke to the people this is Exodus 14:13. Moses spoke to the people, Don't be afraid, stand firm and watch God do His work of salvation for you today. Take a good look at the Egyptians today, for you're never going to see them again. <laughs> take, take a good look at what's been messing with you because after today it's never going to mess with you again (laughs) take a good look at what you've been afraid of because after today you'll never fear it again take a look at the enemy because after today you will not see them again god will fight the battle for you and you keep you keep your mouth shut that's what it says in the message I didn't say it. That's the Word of God. Turn around and look at the, Well, don't do that. <laughs> he said, you keep your mouth shut. How many of you have ever had this little three-inch opening get you in a world of trouble? I shared in the first service, my brother Paul, you know, was... <laughs> He he told everybody he was abused, and my oldest brother said, Paul, you weren't abused, you were stupid. (laughs) Dad would correct Paul, and Paul couldn't keep this three-inch opening closed. He'd start in. (laughs) Daryl would be going, Paul, you need to shut up, man. Paul? Dad's getting mad. I can see he's getting mad. Paul, shut your mouth. Paul, shut your mouth. Paul, Paul, belt would come off.
1: He don't love me.
0: Oh yes, he does. He don't love your mouth, is what it is. How many of you love someone and despise their mouth? I love you. I got you some duct tape. <laughs> this gets us in more trouble than anything else. It gets me in trouble because it speaks fear when it should speak faith. It gets me in trouble because it doubts when it should believe. It murmurs when it ought to praise. God, help me to keep My mouth. Quiet. My dad used to say if you can't say something good about somebody, don't say anything at all. That's wonderful in theory. I've just never seen it work. (laughs) uh, Now, watch what happens. They're crying to Moses. Moses starts crying to God and watches, watch God's response to Moses. Moses tell the pe- tells the people, keep your mouth shut. God tells Moses, what are you crying to me for? He does, he says, why are you crying out to me? He said, you speak and tell the children of Israel to move forward. Take that staff that's in your hand and spread it out and split that sea and march over on dry ground. Do you understand that God never brought us to the edge of something to keep us there? He's saying, I didn't bring you this far to leave you or abandon you or forsake you, but I brought you to deliver you so you can learn how to walk like a conqueror." Lift your head up. Shout a praise to God and let him know you trust that he's able. Everybody say he's more than enough. More than enough. You say, Pastor, what's that have to do with us? Romans 8, starting with verse 26 in the Amplified. In the same way, everybody say the same way. In the same way, the Spirit comes to us and helps us in our weakness. We do not know what prayer to offer or how to offer it as we should. But the Spirit himself knows our need. And at the right time, everybody say, timing is everything. At the right time intercedes on our behalf with sighs and groanings too deep for words. And we know with great confidence that God who is deeply concerned about us causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his plan and purpose. What shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be successful against us? You ever been to a place where you didn't know how to pray? Your heart just kind of overwhelmed and you get down on your knees and no words come. And all you can get out is, a oh God, God, moaning, groaning, sighs, and you think, THAT YOU'RE NOT ACCOMPLISHING ANYTHING. BUT WHAT YOU NEED TO UNDERSTAND IS THAT WHEN YOU'RE OVERWHELMED, HE'S NOT. And so what he does is in your groanings, the Holy Spirit steps into those groanings and translates them to a living God. And all of a sudden now, the enemy that has had you beat down is about to get his payday. The enemy that has had you shut off, that has had you feeling like you're a loser, is about to find out that you're a winner, that you're not a victim, but you are victorious. And then it begins, to makes intercession for us and Paul says (laughs) who then if God is for us who could be successful against us the only thing that defeats you is our way of thinking. Is our buying into a lie and letting the devil grind that into your spirit. It's time to wake up and say, no, if God's for me, you can't be successful against me. Listen to the man that penned it. Paul is letting us know that when God is for you, nothing can triumph over you. This is coming from a man who five times received 39 lashes at the end of a whip. Three times he was beaten with wooden rods. He was shipwrecked three times. Out in the open sea for a night and a day. Do you un- can you fathom what that's even like to be shipwrecked and hanging on to a, a, a piece of wood and just floating around aimlessly praying sharks don't get you? But Paul knew that they wouldn't because he had a promise from God. He, sa- he said he was stoned and left for dead, but none of it was successful against him. Nothing could separate him from Jesus. Listen to what he tells us in Romans 8 and 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For your sakes we're killed all day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love. Of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying, Buddy, I have been whipped, I have been beat, I have been stoned, I have been shipwrecked, I have been hunted by the hounds of hell, but none of it could separate me from the love of God. None of it was successful. When he knows he's going to Jerusalem to be bound hand and foot, he looks at those people and he said, Why are you trying to break my heart? None of these things move me. I've got my mind made up. My God is able. He is able. How about you? Are you ready to walk like a conqueror? You remember that? Walk like, I can't even remember the tune of that song, Walk Like an Egyptian. I don't want to walk like an Egyptian. The Egyptians got in my head. I want to walk like a conqueror. I want to walk the way God wants me to walk. Paul understood how to walk like a conqueror. As a matter of fact, he taught us how to be more than a conqueror. In Isaiah 54 and 17, no weapon, everybody say it with me, no weapon. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. No weapon. Say it one more time no weapon. Get a hold of your head like this. Not your neighbor's, yours. Get a hold of your head and just say, God, from this day forward, stinking thinking is leaving my head. I am who you said I am. I will do what you said I can do, no matter what anybody else says, no matter what anyone else does. Do you understand what you're saying today? You're saying no one has power over me anymore because of Christ. Nothing has power over me because of Jesus. I want to share with you today at the end of this message, the story of Naden Corey. Everybody say, Naden Corey. His mother moved from Liberia in the year 2000, fleeing a war-torn country. She came to Minnesota and began to raise her family. And she lost her job in Minnesota, went to Philadelphia to try and find work. When she got to Philadelphia, things turned bad for Naden. Naden was 13 years old, five foot, two inches tall, and weighed maybe a hundred pounds soaking wet. He became the prime target for the bullies in the neighborhood. They made fun of his mother, shoved and pushed him around. And he knew what it was to live with that kind of torment in his mind that every day, was another day to be bullied. Every day to wake up wondering if you're going to be hit on today. And it finally came to a head in January when seven big teenage boys knocked Naden down, kicked him, slapped him, beat him for 30 minutes. And then they took him and hung him on a seven-foot wrought iron fence and left him. Naden recovered from the beating, and the boys might have gotten away with it had one of them not filmed it and posted it on YouTube. When they posted it on YouTube, the police became aware of it, and they arrested those boys and put them in jail. But the damage had been done to Naden. You know what it's like to go through something so traumatic that you live it over and over in your mind and you can't get free from it? You try and you try. Sometimes you manage to sweep it back in the recesses of your mind, but something happens that triggers it and it's in front of you again. Naden was left to deal with that. Newspapers heard about his story, reported it, One of the producers of The View saw the article and invited Naden on The View. They showed the beating. You could see Naden sitting there trying to be courageous, but his little bottom lip was quivering. And he looked at the ladies on the panel and he said, who knows? Next time they may pick on someone smaller than I am not as big as me. And then all of a sudden the curtains opened up and three huge men came walking out on that stage. They were football players for the Philadelphia Eagles. (laughs) One of those football players was a, Pro receiver, he, 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 he was an all-pro receiver, and his name was Deshaun Jackson. He sat as close to Naden as he could, put his arm around him, let him know he wasn't alone. He said, buddy, he said, we're here for you. And then he did something on national television that everybody could see. He gave him his cell phone number. He said, buddy, anytime you need help, you call. I got two linebackers to back me up. He said, we'll be there. That little lip quit quivering. (laughs) Big old smile broke out on his face because now he knew that he wasn't alone and that help was just a call away can I tell you something today Uh, that help uh, is just a call away (laughs) that you are not alone Uh, you've been bought with a price he said I'll never leave you or forsake you uh, but I'll go with you to the ends of the earth Uh, he's declared to us in Hebrews 13 and 6 so we may boldly say the Lord is my helper I, I will not fear what can man do to me we oftentimes say well we know what man can do to us he can beat us he can lie to us he can cheat us he can steal from us no 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 the writer said the Lord is my helper so what can man do to me God is for me no one can separate me from him not any situation not any event it's time for us to learn how to walk like a conqueror stand up and would you stand up right now I hear a faint sound in the distance. It's a reminder that you're not alone. If you listen, you'll discover that God is right there, waiting to act on your behalf. We got to get it out of our head. We've got to get the old way of thinking out of our head and declare it's a new day. Everybody say it with me. It's a new day. What can man do to us if the Lord is my helper There was a guy by the name of David Wilkerson. He walked the streets of New York trying to reach gang members. He wasn't having much success in his ministry. One day he stood on a street corner and a man walked up to him and he whipped out a switchblade. And David Wilkerson looked at that hardened gang member And he said, you cut me in a thousand pieces, and every piece will cry out, Jesus loves you. Wow. What can man do to us? Give it a blow, brother. that sound in the camp it meant one thing God was showing up it was to call a solemn assembly today we have called a solemn assembly I've come to let you know on behalf of your maker your Lord and your Savior that you are not the tail you are the head You are not beneath. You are above. You are not defeated. You, my friend, are more than a conqueror. Would you stretch your hands to heaven with me right now and say, he's talking about me. I'm more than, I love you, Father. I give you praise, Lord. I thank you, God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Don't you think it's time we get a brain transplant? <laughs> Not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I am Who he said I am. I am victorious. This is what I want you to do. I want you to, everybody, if you would, throw your head up a little bit, square your shoulders, suck in your gut. Some of us got to do a little more sucking than (laughs) others. Suck in the gut and say, I am a child of the king. (laughs) Don't mess with me, devil. You understand that I, I mean think about this I under, oh you say well he's so big nine foot nine inches tall everybody's scared to death except one boy that had been in the field talking to his God everybody's mind had been impacted by the image of what was before them But David had been impacted of the image of who walked before him, who he served. Then he went out to square off with Goliath. Goliath looked at him and said, man, are you kidding me? You're sending a kid out here with some stick? Get away from me, boy. I'll grind you up and feed you to the beasts of the earth and the fowls of the air. David looked at, man, I'm telling you, that's pretty big talk, isn't it? look this guy was big enough he could have done it if david had been alone but david wasn't alone and neither are we we are not alone so david just looked at him and he said let me clue you in on something you come to me with a sword and a shield and a spear you notice I'm not carrying any of that stuff. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, and today he'll deliver you into my Oh, you got to get a hold of that. You need to start waking up in the morning and saying, "God, here I am." And say, "Devil, today is my day. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it." No, 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 no. Hey, come up here just a second. I hear hear some rattling going on. I feel it in my bones. Run run up here with that thing. Run up here. I may decide I want to blow it. Let me see in a second. In the name of Jesus. to say this, that it's in every one of us. We just see, sometimes we say, oh, oh, he's the only one that can do that. Buddy, it's in you if you'll just exercise it. If you'll just say, here I am God. Get your lips wet. Get ready to let God use you. Stretch those hands to heaven right now.
1: Are you ready? Pentecostal fire stirring something new. You're not going to run out of miracles anytime time, And resurrection power runs in my face too. Charmed. I believe there's another miracle here in this room. This is the sound of tribal traveling. Yeah. This is the praise, make a dead man walk again.
0: that line open the grave the devil has tried to bury you under fear and oppression and hopelessness and helplessness it's time to declare open the grave I'm coming out I'm gonna live I'm gonna live again say it with me open the grave Open the grave we used to sing a song ain't no grave gonna hold this body now open that grave up I'm coming out in the name of Jesus sing it guys
1: Open the grave I'm coming out I'm gonna live gonna live again. sound The praise make a dead man walk again.
0: I'm I'm getting ready to let you go, but just do this once, would you? You He said, what's that about, Pastor? Y'all did it before you ever came to church. You get out on a dance floor. I'm telling you, it's time to say, I'm coming alive. I'm coming alive in Jesus. These bones are starting to rattle a little bit. I feel something touching me that I may not be able to explain, but I know where it's coming from. And he is more than enough. We are more than a conqueror. Okay, are you ready? I promise I'm letting you go. Just look at somebody. Get a hold of their hand. Smile one time. Like this. Go ahead, act like you're happy. Shake that hand a little bit. Shake that hand a little bit and say, you feel that? You feel that? Do you feel that? That is my God. He's not just, you have to understand something about my God. My God just just does not walk beside me. He lives inside me. (laughs) So every once in a while, these bones start rattling a little bit. Every once in a while, I get beside myself a little bit. Every once in a while, I forget about being dignified and I just go ahead and praise him with everything that I have and all that I am. I declare in the name of the Lord that you're walking out of here more than a conqueror, that you're walking out of here not defeated but victorious in Jesus' name. Come on and give my hand clap of praise in this house.
1: I hear the sound, I hear the sound.
0: encounter tonight six o'clock